0: Cornerstone Community Church, good morning. It is a joy for me to be with you this morning, to worship with you, and to proclaim God's word. Uh, my name is Felix Dionugraha. I serve as the president of Western Theological Seminary in Holland, yes, but Holland, Michigan. Uh, I'm here with my friend Andy Bass, a colleague uh, who is uh, the head of our development department. Uh, I had the joy of staying with SIP last night, and I agreed that I'm going to preach and then I'm going to give him a time of rebuttal. So if I say anything wrong, if I say anything heretical, he's going to come up and tell you what I really should have said. So I'm going to do my best so you won't have to do that, friends. I'm going to be preaching this morning from the book of Second Timothy, chapter two, verses one through thirteen. So will you please stand for the reading of God's word? Second Timothy. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain, that is, may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we have died with him. We will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. Okay. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Do you join me as I pray? Lord, this is the day that You have made. We will be glad and rejoice in it. Oh God, what an amazing privilege and honor to be able to gather together in worship with these brothers and sisters in Christ, the family of God, Lord, we stand before you, your throne of grace, singing, salvation belongs to our God, who reigns forever and ever. And Lord, as we proclaim, as we hear your word, as I proclaim your word this morning, Lord, would you fix our eyes on you, incline our ears towards you turn our hearts upon you, so that we may hear your voice. And God, help me, so that I may proclaim your truth, yours alone, your truth alone, no more, no less. Amen. Friends, we are living in the midst of changing times. We are living in the midst of of a time of change. There was a survey taken, and they found that majority of Americans believe in these statements. It seems like most of the people in our country right now seems to be turned off by the state of our society. Some you may agree with that statement. There seems to be low trust and low confidence in our government, and that sense seems to be widespread. There seems to be a lot of things happening in our world that violate our convictions, morals, and principles, and if there is a crisis, it seems that the majority of Americans do not trust, do not have the confidence that those in power will do the right thing and will do the right thing by the people. If these things seem to be more intense than usual, you may be right a Harvard political scientist by the name of Samuel Huntington made the observation in 1981 that American history seems to be driven by periods of what he called moral convulsions. And he said that this moral convulsion, when as a country and as a society, as a nation, we respond to the cumulative items that are happening in such a strong way seemed to take place about every 60 years. He pointed out that the American Revolution took place in the 1760s and the 70s. 60 years later, the populist uprising under President Andrew Jackson took place in 1820s and 1830s. Then the progressive era that began the late 1890s, the social protest movement of the 1960s. In the 70s. And as he looked toward the future, he observed that the next period of moral convulsion will be around the second decade of the 21st century. He made these observations. These moments share certain features. People are disgusted by the state of society. Trust in institution plummets. Moral indignation is widespread. Contempt for established power is intense. Some of you may feel like this is the moment that we are living in. The director of the Billy Graham Center, Ed Stetzer, made these additional observation. He said that there are six events in the past couple of years that have added to the sense of convulsion, to the sense of change, to the sense of uncertainty that many of us are feeling right now. Of course, the one that comes to mind immediately is the COVID pandemic. You know that as well, the widespread distrust in the culture. It's hard to know who we can trust, the news that we hear, the words of our elected officials. Can we trust them that they are telling us the truth? Widespread damage to mental health, the rising depression and anxiety, especially among teenagers. Destruction in our social relationship through technology, things like Facebook and Twitter, that seem to have made it, in, it increasingly impossible for us to actually hold civil discussion with one another. Disorientation in identity, especially when it comes to sexual orientation and gender identity. And Ed Stetzer made the observation that the church seems to be increasingly divided when it comes to discussing these important matters. I want today to add three additional factors that I believe is adding to the sense of instability that we may feel on an everyday basis. There's a decline in church attendance and membership. For the first time in 2021, since we began tracking these kinds of data in the late 1930s, less than half of Americans indicate that they belong to a church, that they hold membership in a church. For the first time since about 1938, less than half of Americans indicated that. We are being told that there is a growing group in the United States called the Rise of the Nuns, N-O-N-E-S. These are people who do not adhere to any religion at all. And then just earlier this year, in January of 2022, Barnard Research Group told us that the great resignation that we are seeing all across different fields is also coming to the church. 38% of all pastors have considered resigning in the past years. And when you look at pastors below the age of 40, that number grows to 48%. 48% of pastors under the age of 40 considered resigning and leaving the ministry this past year. Simply put, it is becoming increasingly difficult to follow Jesus. I want to argue that in fact it is becoming increasingly unpopular to be called followers of Jesus Christ. My Friends, the reality is this is not the first time it has been unpopular to be called followers of Jesus, to be called Christians, to bear the name of Jesus. The text that I read this morning from the book of 2 Timothy is written by the Apostle Paul as he was imprisoned nearing the end of his life. In this letter, he wrote to his disciple Timothy giving final instructions about what, how we ought to live as followers of Jesus when it is incredibly difficult, hard, and unpopular. And his main point, main thrust. Is this as Christians we are called to remain loyal to Jesus even in the midst of troubling times as Christians we are called to remain loyal to Jesus Christ no matter how hard things get so there are two things that we can demonstrate our allegiance and our loyalty to Jesus in the midst of troubling times the first way is this we remain loyal to jesus by enduring hardship and suffering verse one of chapter two began you then my son be strong in the grace that is in christ jesus paul was living in a hostile time we find out that there are false teachers who are following him coming into every town that paul had visited and began to destroy and destruct and teach a different gospel to undermine the message that Paul was teaching. We discovered in chapter 1 that there have been friends, fellow ministry colleagues, people who have stood shoulder to shoulder with Paul who have began to desert him and would leave him behind. We discovered in this text that this difficulty, this suffering, led to the arrest of Paul he is physically in chain in prison he was living in a hostile time yet his primary concern for Timothy is to be strong be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus I love the fact that Paul does not simply encourage us to be strong I'm afraid that if he simply left it at that, we would get a little confused. Well, what do you mean, Paul? Does it mean they i going to work out some more, going to run some more? Am I strong in my flesh? Is that what you mean? No. He said, for us to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The word for strong that is used here indicates an inward strength. And the fact that it is found in the grace that is in Christ Jesus means that the source of this inward strength is available to us all. What is grace that is found in Christ Jesus? You're familiar with the text of Ephesians chapter two, verses nine to 10. But it is grace, by grace, that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Grace, as we see in scripture, is nothing that we have deserved. It is unmerited. It is not based on our own work or accomplishment, degrees, achievements. We have not done anything to earn it. We do not deserve it. It is not our right. In fact, it is quite the opposite. It is receiving something that we should not have, we should not have received. It is getting something that we have no business getting. Perhaps some of you have done one of those things. You try to stay on top of everything and there just happened to be a credit, card, a credit card bill that you stuck somewhere and you discovered it one day past the payment due date. So if you're like me, you will call them up and you get ready to make an, a case, an argument. You wrestle with yourself. You're thinking, well, can I can I tell them that I didn't really get the bill even though I got it? I just missed it. Maybe I'll get away with it. And you call them and you, you call your bank and you say, I'm so sorry, I'm calling with regard to a missed payment. I would like to make that payment now. And is it possible for you to waive the late payment fee? And the person on the other line says, oh, no problems. You get a one-time grace period. You don't have to pay the late payment fee. Grace, receiving something that we do not deserve. The author, Philip Yancey, in his book, What is Amazing About Grace, talked about the one time when he rented a car and he came back an hour past the due date for the car rental. He came in expecting to pay an extra hour when the person behind the counter said, oh, don't worry about it. We got a four-hour grace period. Grace. Thinking that you owe something and having it suddenly waived. My friends, you know this. If you miss too many payments on a credit card, that one-time grace period will not always be there. Sooner or later, you will have to pay that late payment fee. If you hang on to that rental car, not just for an hour past the deadline, but for six, eight hours, there's no endless grace period. There is an ending to that grace. But when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to God, when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no end to that grace. There is no bottom to that grace. There is no limit to the grace that we receive from God. In other words, there is nothing that you and I can do that is beyond the grace of God. There is no mistake that is so heinous that cannot be covered by the grace of God. There is no sin so great that we will be beyond the love and grace of God. And there's no mistake that we can do so often that will cause the grace of God to run out. The grace of God covers everything. This is the grace that Paul points us to. Be strong knowing that the grace of Jesus is available to us all. And this grace is not simply a grace that we receive when we are first saved, but it is a grace that he continues to pour out each and every day. It is a grace that is new every morning. It is a grace that sustains us. But what is the grace for? Is it simply so that we can sit back and relax and be happy all the time? No. We lean on this grace so that we can endure suffering and hardship. In verse three, Paul says, join with me in suffering. And he gives three imageries, like a soldier, like an athlete, and like a farmer. I had a chance to meet some of your former elders and current elders yesterday, and I noted that several of them have served in the military. For those of you who have served in the military, you know exactly full well what Paul is talking about here. You, have to, you must have single-minded devotion and obedience to the task that is ahead of you and to your commanding officer. My brother served in the military. He would tell the story about when he was in boot camp. One day it was storming, it was raining hard. He was in South Carolina when the commanding officer called out to his group and said, go outside and mop up all the water. So he went out there, he and his buddies, and they were just mopping up all the water that that was coming down for the next half an hour in the midst of this torrential downpour. It was completely useless. There was no way they could keep up. But they learned a lesson that day. You do not question the directive of your commanding officer. In that moment, it seems to be just fun and games. You're just in the middle of the rain, and the commanding officer is just being mean and nasty. But in the battlefield, in the middle of a war, if you question your commanding officer, it is the difference between life and death for you and your platoon. The athlete is called to compete according to the rules of the sport. An athlete who does not compete according to the rules of the sport is found to be ineligible for victory. And as Christians, we are, also to call, we are also called to live our lives according to the law of God. Not because we do anything to earn it, but as a response to the grace that God has given to us. And the hard work of the farmer. You know better than I do about the hard work of farmers. One of the joys that I've had in becoming the president of Western Theological Seminary is to meet farmers from Iowa, to Tulare, to Visalia, to Chowchilla to Ripon, all the way up to Twin Falls, Idaho. My wife used to make fun of me because she grew up on a farm and she would tell me how she used to milk cows and I got to visit some dairy farms and I called home and I said, "Honey." They don't milk cows by hand anymore. There are these machines and carousels that do it all for you. I got to meet a five-year-old calfling. I got to find out that a certain part of the state is called almonds, and the other part of the state is called almonds. <laughs> you know exactly what it means to be a farmer. There may be different ways to milk cows. There may be different ways to call the crop. But one thing is true, for you to be a successful farmer, you must work hard. And Paul said, look, as followers of Jesus, join in the suffering by hard work. Following Jesus is to toil, to work hard, just like a farmer who wants to enjoy a share of his crop. What does it mean for us as Christians today? What does it mean for us to join in the suffering in the midst of a difficult time? Whatever hardship and suffering may come, what does it mean for us to endure these things? How do we react when we see that the society around us is becoming less Christian or becoming downright hostile to the Christian faith and to our values. You see, some people may be tempted to abandon the teaching of scripture. They may say, you know what, I'm not sure this is all worth it. I think it's easier for me to just follow the way of the world. Some may become increasingly worried and anxious. Others may be tempted to respond in frustration, anger, and perhaps even want to fight back. Friends, I want to suggest to us today that in many ways, what we are experiencing and that any suffering and hardship that is coming, that has already come to us as Christians, should not surprise us. In many ways, we have enjoyed a time in the United States where Christianity and Christian values have become the dominant religion and the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has been part and parcel and has been woven into the fabric of our society. I moved from Chicago to Holland and Zealand in Michigan. And I was surprised when I walked in to Jimmy John uh, Jimmy John. In a, and the first day I'm there, I was there. And all of a sudden listening to the music and realizing I know the song. It's a worship song. They're playing a worship song in a Jimmy John. <laughs> I was told that the up till about seven years ago, the teachers' meeting at the local public school still started with the word of prayer. We have enjoyed A time when Christianity was woven into the fabric of our society. And now we are seeing that it is becoming less and less so. But it should not surprise us. Because this is what Jesus has foretold to us all the way back from the New Testament. You remember these words from John chapter 15. If the world hates you, Jesus said to the disciples, Keep in mind that it hated me first. You see, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And if they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours. Also, We are not to be surprised. Jesus told us. If you are going to follow him, if you are going to follow Christ, persecution will come. So then how are we to respond? You remember, you're familiar with the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Perhaps for some of you, That's a favorite verse of yours as you struggle through a difficult time. Have you ever noticed the verse that comes right after it? How did Paul apply this verse that God's grace is sufficient for him? He said this that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Delight, for when I am weak, I am strong in Christ. We are called to respond in delight because it is God's grace that is at work within us. And then finally, this word is from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 16, where Peter said, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and an end of God rests on you. You are called to rejoice and not be surprised. So friends, we are living in the midst of changing times. We are living in the midst, in a world that is becoming increasingly hostile to Christians and to to those who proclaim the name of Christ. But instead of being surprised, we are called to remain loyal to Jesus by enduring hardship and enduring persecution. The second way that Paul calls us to demonstrate our loyalty to Jesus is by proclaiming the good news of the gospel to others. You see this in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. Earlier on in the chapter, Paul said to Timothy, the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others entrust to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. We are called as Christians to entrust the message of the gospel to reliable people. This is the gospel for which Paul is suffering, being chained in prison. The preaching of the gospel is followed by suffering. It is part and parcel of what it means for us to proclaim the name of Jesus but yet we are called to do so Paul said for the sake of the elect because when we do so others come to a saving knowledge of Jesus and the good news that is in Christ and that is worthy of our pain hardship and suffering I became the president of Western Theological Seminary about three years ago I did not even get to complete the first year before the COVID pandemic hit. And then before I know it, our denomination, the Reformed Church in America, went through an incredible upheaval that is changing the composition and the membership of our denomination. People ask me, do you regret becoming the president of Western Theological Seminary? They ask me, are you surprised by what is happening? And I would respond by saying, absolutely not. Why not? Because as a seminary, I believe that we are living into this call that God is calling us to do. To entrust the message of the gospel to reliable people. As a seminary, our task is to make sure that our students are reliable people who is worthy to be entrusted with the good news of the gospel. So that they can then go and proclaim and teach others and lead others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. One of the ways, one of the reasons why I'm not at all filled with regret, and in fact, I'm excited about what is happening at Western, is because of people like Rudy. Rudy is a student of ours. He graduated from a master's program and now he's in a doctoral program. He shared his testimony one day on Facebook and this is what he said. When I was younger, I didn't think I would live to see 18. When I was 19, I didn't think I would ever see the streets again because I was fighting a life sentence. But Jesus changed things for me. I've been shot seven times, stabbed 18 times, and three times fought a life sentence. I've been on L.A.'s Most Wanted and the Fugitive on the run. But Jesus changed things for me. I never finished school past the ninth grade. Instead, I got a GED when I was paroled from the youth authority. I didn't go to college till I was 38, graduated with a bachelor's, then on to Western Theological Seminary for a master's of divinity at 46, and now my doctor of ministry. Jesus changed everything. I used to be God's enemy, but now I'm his friend, his beloved. I was headed to hell, but he set me apart. I used to hate God, but now I love him. I used to deny him that he even existed, but I know now how real he actually is. He gave me another shot at life, not just this one, but eternally. He changed everything for me, and he can change your life. it is on his birthday? Today is my 48th birthday, and it is my sincere wish that all my friends would truly know Christ, repent of their sins, and be saved. So today, won't you please trust in Him and believe upon Him? Friends, Rudy's story is dramatic. My guess is that most of us, including myself, won't have that kind, that kind of a dramatic story. But the question remains, Jesus changed our lives. How will you demonstrate your loyalty and allegiance to him in your daily lives today? In the midst of hardship, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of changing time, in the midst of the social convulsion of our time, how are you going to demonstrate your allegiance and loyalty to Christ? Earlier on today, we saw men who have been proven worthy to serve as elders and deacons of this church. Men who have proven worthy through time with Pastor Logan and Pastor Doug and others to go through the process, be elected as elders and deacons of this church. How is God calling you today to step out in whatever spheres of life that you are in, in this church, at your work, in your neighborhood, to stand up for Christ, no matter what hardship and persecution may come your way. I was chatting with Saip last night, and he was sharing about how he just, he's been going down, two doors down in this neighborhood to offer prayer for a neighbor who is in pain. He's doing it in small things, in small ways, and big ways, proclaiming the name of Jesus. How is God calling you to follow him in your life today? You see, when we stand up, when we follow Jesus, the world will respond negatively. Because to follow Jesus, to call ourselves Christians, is to challenge the power and principalities of our day. It's to declare that our trust, our loyalty, and our allegiance is to Jesus and Jesus alone. It's to declare to the world that your philosophies and your teachings are empty and vain. Because I proclaim that there is a God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who created the heaven and the earth, who knitted each and every one of us together in our mother's womb, who has come, lived, died, and risen again, the one who has died for our sins and for the sake of our salvation, and the one who has risen from the dead, declaring victory over sin and death, and this Jesus will come again. So friends, today, there's actually one really specific things that all of us who are Christ followers get to do before we leave this church. We come to the table, the body of Christ, the blood of Christ. We come in remembrance for what Christ has done for us on the cross. But we also come to this table as a demonstration, as an expression of our commitment to Jesus to give thanks to him for his suffering and death and for his grace, but also to demonstrate our commitment to participate in the suffering of Christ for the sake of this world, to proclaim the good news so that one day, just as the grain from many fields has been gathered into this loaf, and the grapes from many hills has been gathered into this cup, so too the people of God those who have tasted the grace of Jesus will one day be gathered from the ends of the earth into God's kingdom and his family. We endure suffering and hardship and we share the gospel out of loyalty to Christ in response to his grace. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. Jesus, You have come and died on the cross, taken on humiliation for our sake and for our salvation. And you have given us the Holy Spirit so that we may walk not according to our own strength, but by the power of the Spirit. And so, Lord, we ask that you would empower us, use us, Help us to endure pain and suffering with joy, with delight. For your sake and for the sake of the good news of the gospel, May all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.